Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Angie Lee, Global Workplace Leader for Santec, discusses autonomous vehicles and their impact on smart cities. Welcome. Hello, my name is Steve Binder, a member of Cornet faculty. I teach change leadership in the SLCR program. I'm pleased to introduce Angie Lee, who's going to talk about autonomous mobility, and then she will in turn introduce David. So with that, here's Angie. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Angie. This is Dave. We're both from Santec. Uh, Santec is, for those of you who may not know us, uh, we're a very big company, 22,000 people, uh, 400 offices, and we have five different divisions within Santec. David and I are in the buildings division within Stantec. So today, um, we're gonna talk about autonomous uh, vehicles and what the impact is with that to um, the design of our cities. Yesterday, I don't know if you all went to the general session and heard Dr. Goldberg talk about autonomous vehicles, it's coming, it's, it's slow, but it's coming. Today, what we want to talk about is the impact on AVs, SAVs, and CVs on the way we do business and on the way that it will impact us in terms of live, uh, live work as well as play. So just by a quick show of hands, how many of you have taken an Uber or a Lyft in the last several weeks? So okay, pretty much the majority. If you think about how that has transformed the way you travel, okay, AVs, SAVs, and CVs in the future not only will impact the way you travel, but also impact the way we design our cities, our communities, as well as our buildings. So what I've asked David to do today, he is our resident thought leader, um, to share with you in the next 15 minutes the research that we have done at Stantec, his colleagues as well as some of our partners, um, and very quickly, very high level to share with you some of the results. And I think we're going to focus on three what you call dividends. And hopefully we'll have a little time at the end so that we can do a little Q&A. Okay? Uh, thanks, Angie. I'm going to have to talk really fast to give us time at the end because we have 15 minutes in total. Um, so <clears throat> these two cartoons uh, basically carry a message. Uh, buckle up. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty ahead. Basically, we're going to enter a... We are... We are uh, the advent of autonomous mobilities will be as impactful on everything we do uh, as the arrival of universal auto ownership after World War II. Um, the big difference is that none of us planned ahead for the fact that everybody would have a car and what this would do to our cities and our buildings and our lives. We have a chance to plan ahead now because we know this is coming. Uh, the only difference I might have had with the speaker yesterday is I suspect it's got, in, in the life of development, of planning, designing, and of planning, developing, and designing buildings, let me just say it's coming a lot faster. I would not call it a slow arrival, and I hope I'll... I'll give credence to that. So what I want to talk, I'm going to 
introduced Stantec's Urban Places. Uh, I'm uh, in in buildings. Uh, Stantec has actually established a group called Urban Places, which brings together architects and planners and mobility folks and folks who are thinking about autonomous mobility and real estate folks all under one umbrella to make sure that we are constantly talking to each other because it takes connecting all those dots to really plan cities and create the kinds of opportunities you can go out and develop and work in. Uh, Stantec is, of all the big A&Es, and I say this in complete modesty, has the leading practice around autonomous mobility today. We are engaged, We have partnerships with every manufacturer. We are running two of the major test tracks in North America. We're working with cities and towns and transportation agencies and developers to begin deploying autonomous vehicles. This is just a, a quick partial list. Uh, so from this... Uh, I have, five years ago when I joined Stantec, I didn't even know, I didn't know we had anybody working on autonomous mobility. I called up one day because I recently edited a book called Suburban Remix, The Next Generation of Urban Places. This was, I called about four years ago and said, I'm worried we don't have a book. Is everyone just going to sit in a car and ride out to the furthest suburb? Uh, And I got a quick answer that said no, because the way autonomous mobility is going to unfold is very different the way... uh, access to universal access to cars unfolded, it's actually going to be much more urban uh, because it will probably be about shared autonomous mobility. And that's a point very quickly I want to get across and its implications for you. So it all starts, I'm going to do a, a new norm 101. I'm going to start with demographics, go on to what's happening to our economy, then to autonomous mobility. And therefore, because of what's happening to our economy and our demographics, why I think autonomous mobility is going to unfold in certain ways that will be very impactful for everyone sitting in this room, and some of you are smiling. So, uh, first of all, uh, uh, our demographics have completely reversed from the pattern for most of my adult life, which is unfortunately longer than I might want to admit. So, going forward for the next 20 years, uh, basically, the majority of U.S. growth will be folks over 65. Uh, the next largest number will be folks under 35. Most of them don't have kids. Uh, put all this together, uh, and it says that roughly 80% of all net new households in the next 20 years are going to be singles and couples, not households with kids. Uh, these are folks who naturally want to live in cities. Actually, to put a, an exclamation point on that, the, the natural market for suburban single-family homes for suburbs, most suburbs, is uh, households with two adults uh, and kids. Uh, they represent, go back for a second, they represent, will represent about 10% of all U.S. households by the mid to late 2020s. So think not about suburbs, but think about how much more urban our society is than when we all started get, driving around in cars 50, 60 years ago. Not only that, the more educated we are and the more affluent we are, the more we are trying to move into cities. So actually, if you're 35 to 25 to 49, if you have four years or more of college education, you're moving into a core, an urban core. If you have less than four years, you're moving out. Not because people with high school degrees want big backyards, but because cities are getting expensive. This is what we, we this is what I turned on television. You, none of you will know these shows. This is what the world looked like. This is what we look like today. This is what a world looks like when most new households are singles and couples and often older folks. So. 
not surprisingly, uh, put all this together, and urban housing prices have been rising much faster than suburban prices for really almost 20 years now. This trend is baked in for at least another two decades. This is not something, this is not a, a blip or somehow peak city. At the same time, um, our, all of our economic growth is really knowledge industries. Knowledge industries depend on knowledge workers. Because many of us did not have as many kids as we probably should have, uh, the U.S. workforce will grow more slowly in 2040 than it did in 2010. At the same time, 90-plus percent jobs, net new jobs coming out of the recession, Great Recession, require a college degree. So slower growth in workforce, jobs all clustering in one area. We have a genuine shortage of skilled and educated read knowledge workers today, and employers are following these workers into cities. Workers don't follow jobs. Jobs follow workers today in the, the jobs and the industries and the investment that cities really care about. So, surprise, surprise, rents in cities are going up much faster than they are in suburbs. Again, this is baked in. In 2040, our workforce will still grow more slowly than in 2010, and there's no indication that jobs won't continue to increasingly be focused uh, in knowledge industries. So this sets the stage. When autonomous mobility unfolds, it's going to be in front of a very different world than universal auto ownership. Um, most of the people, most people, you know, autonomous mobility may spell the end of cities and, the, and, the, uh, and we may all get in a car and drive as far as we could if we're the same people we were in 1950, 60, 70, but we aren't. We are, we are by our very nature and who we are a much more urban population and we have a much more urban economy. So with this... How is autonomous mobility going to impact all this? Well, this is a wonderful quote. I love this from Ford. I mean, from Forbes, saying that Mary Barra, the new president of GM, has been brought in uh, to oversee uh, General Motors as it is racing to adjust to a rapidly approaching future of shared electric autonomous mobilities, mobility. Uh, vehicles. Please remember the word shared, because that makes a very big difference. So this is not what autonomous mobility is going to look like if you live in a city. Suburbs, maybe. It'll look like this, like this. Actually, like this will get you your goods. This will get you your pizza. This is what autonomous mobility, this is what mobility is going to look much more like if you live in a city. Uh, because if you live in a city, and let me just, well, let me come back to this. So, and <clears throat> I don't know what schedule you heard yesterday, but this is what Stantex experts tell us, and I believe them. Uh, SAVs, shared autonomous vehicles, will be in mass production by early in the 2020s. By late 2020s, 60% of vehicles will be connected. What that means, you, you, your vehicle, you may still have to drive your car, but when you approach a, come to a parking garage, for example, if you have six connected technology, you won't park your car. You will say to your car, if you'll excuse me, go park yourself. Uh, and your car will park itself a lot more efficiently than any of us can, meaning parked cars will take up a lot less space, meaning parking structures will already begin to accommodate a lot more cars than they do today and have more space. So one quick message is we are at today peak parking. Our society will never need as many parking spaces as we do now. Early 2030s, 75% of vehicles will be driverless. At this point, we will be in a new era. And 
I'll, I'll come back to Parky in a minute. So what are some of the implications for us? Now, let me say, there are lots of ways this could unfold. You should all get very active in your communities because uh, we're going to have to create the right policies and regulations to have this unfold in a way that really works for us. But assuming we get this right, there are three important dividends to think about. Um, <clears throat> I had to give a talk. I had to. I was invited to give a talk to the Downtown Development Community in Oklahoma City about a year ago, uh, or about eight months ago, and just gave them some similar headlines. Uh, and so I took a quick look at what might the impact be on Oklahoma City. It's not San Francisco or Boston, uh, but it's not other cities either. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a middling city. It's a good example. So the first is... If you can, as if you live in an urban area where you can give up a car or one of your cars and uh, use shared autonomous mobility, and I should say that when you pull the driver out of the equation, you pull about 50 or 60 percent of the cost op operations, whether it's a bus, a truck, a taxi, or a shared Uber. It's, it's fascinating to me that it doesn't scale. Uh, but basically, it's like a subsidy for five five thousand dollars a year. Let's say you're a household, two folks. You're trying to decide whether to live in an urban core where you don't have to have a car because you can use shared autonomous mobility, one click, and that vehicle shows up. Two of you can save ten thousand dollars a year. That's a subsidy, an urban subsidy for living in urban cores. So, not only will it be will there be a subsidy for living in urban cores. Uh, but people really choose where they live around lifestyle today. And if for increasing numbers of us, particularly that 80% of net new households who don't have kids, it's around amenity. Right now, we measure amenity by how far can we walk and what can, in a five-minute walk, how many cool cafes, uh, great places to work, uh, art exhibits, whatever it is, we, you know, movies, can we walk to? That, that creates quality of life for us. Well, so this is Oklahoma City. It has a series of really cool districts. I was just talking to their planner yesterday. They, they have done a great job. Um, each of these is very cool. In, let's say, 15 years, 10 years, if they have a robust shared autonomous vehicle uh, network, instead of a series of mid places, Midtown, the Arts District, um, Bricktown, that are cool, all of the amenity, all the coolness, all the fun, all the things that you want to go out and do uh, in Oklahoma, the core of Oklahoma City, will be available with a click and a five-minute ride. So instead of a five-minute walking shed, you'll have a five-minute uh, shared autonomous mobility shed. And I hope this is making sense to folks. This is going to put the desirability of limited urban cores on steroids, in effect. And now remember that we've also cut the cost a minute ago. So these are all the cool places that will be one place for, in Oklahoma City. So, <clears throat> so I want to now come to what I think is probably the most important, which I call the density dividend. One SAV on a street, this is, comes from a study in Austin, can replace 11 parking spaces. SAVs don't park. So let's assume that in Oklahoma City, we built a million square feet today, mixed use. Uh, we would need about a million 150,000 square feet of parking to support that. Let's say we use a really good shared parking strategy. Stantec is great at this. We could probably cut that much parking out, or we could build that much more square footage. Let's get to the late 2020s, mid-2030s. Cars are parking themselves, so now we need that much space to meet the requirements of that much square footage, that, many, that much parking space, we could develop that much more served by the same parking. 
mid-2030s, we can build that much more without spending a penny on parking. So this is Oklahoma City today. There are about 20,000 parking spaces downtown. Uh, <clears throat> 15 years from now, downtown could basically, looking at office, retail, and, and residential, probably as much as you could support 100 to 200% more development in effect. So what is the closing message here? Uh, well, there, hopefully there are a bunch of them, and you're thinking about them, and maybe we'll have one minute for questions. But one is, why is this important now? Because how long does it take to do development? If you plan it this way, building and parking structure uh, in 2018, uh, by the 2030s, you'll have a building and a building and a parking structure. If you make your parking as flexible as possible so that as we move into a world of reduced parking, you'll have twice as much square footage on your block, in effect. Now, in fact, you can go a lot further than that. I'm going to remind everybody that if you look at all the parking we have in place, it makes really lousy housing, really lousy office space. It makes great parking. So it makes a lot more sense, given how pro-urban markets are going to be and our economy is going to be, to think about densifying and intensifying to take advantage of the parking you have than try and imagine turning into something other than a... Um, Amazon Distribution Center. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to What's Next. Have an idea or a point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org forward slash podcast.